whoa. It's like a load of stuff coming at us, isn't it? How many of you were alive in the 1980s? Yeah, whoa, lots of you. Before we get into that, uh, just a family update I want to talk through with you. I do these from time to time. Uh, Lots of you know that our leadership circles around have been considering the idea of moving our Saturday 6 p.m. worship experience, shuttering it. And uh, by the way, we've been doing Saturday nights since uh, we started almost nine years ago now. And we're talking about closing it and moving it to Sunday at 5 o'clock. Sunday at 5 o'clock. One of the reasons we're thinking about that is because of the way we think about serving our community, leveraging our facilities for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we think we have this really fantastic opportunity to increase our service to the many community groups that exist for the benefit of the valley through this space, not just this room, but the whole building, through this space that we built to share, really, with the community. Uh, This facility, the commons at Baxter and Love, by the way, this is not Journey Church. You're not sitting in Journey Church. This is the comp. Please don't ever call this building Journey Church. It's called the commons at Baxter and Love. Churches, by the way, are people. That's us, right? This is just a building. And the commons at Baxter and Love exist to serve the Gallatin Valley community. So this whole building and campus endeavor is about us, the people of Journey Church, with a serving towel over our arm, expressing love and service and compassion and so to the people of our wider Gallatin Valley community. And this whole concept of a church building and a church campus as a community center was born out of a nagging frustration that some of us saw in our years in church leadership. And here's how it goes most of the time. Churches build great big rooms, great big buildings that they occupy mainly for just a few hours on the weekend. And then those big rooms, just like this, the majority of those big buildings sit cold and dark nearly unused most of the rest of the week. And we think that that plan is anathema to everything that Jesus Christ has called this church to be about, right? Like, think about it. Here's God in heaven, and he creates all of this planet, and he makes animals, and he makes human beings, and then humanity makes like a colossal mess of everything. And it's such a mess that God has to send his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die in order to redeem us back to himself. And the cool deal about Jesus dying is he didn't just die to redeem a few people back to himself. He died to redeem everyone back to himself. He came to redeem everyone, not like a little holy huddle, not just an elite few, not just those who were on the inside in the special no. Jesus, rather, swung the redemption door wide open and invited everyone to come into the Father through him. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves everyone. Because he died for everyone. He longs, actually, to redeem everyone back to himself. And so that very principle permeates how we as a church think about our campus and our facility as it develops over the decades. Here's a relevant, for instance, that I think bears this point out. Did you know that of the four largest Protestant churches in Bozeman, only one of them hosts homeless families in their facility? Of the four largest Protestant churches in Bozeman, just one of them hosts homeless families in their facilities. It isn't every week, it's not every day, it's like a few times a year. Maybe four to five times a year it rotates. You you as a church have a rotation and you have a week every couple of months or two weeks every couple of months. This week, 
us, we hosted several homeless families in our facility. They lived here, they ate here, they hung out here, their kids played here. And we, you, Journey, are one of the only largest four Protestant churches in the valley to host homeless families through this fantastic organization known as Family Promise. And we host not just because we're the only church that has a facility that can accommodate homeless families. Those other three large Protestant churches that won't allow homeless people to stay in their facilities, they have fantastic, big, fantastic, beautiful buildings that would work great for hosting homeless families, maybe better than ours would in some instances, but they won't let homeless people stay there. I've written two of the three pastors of those large churches letters urging them to stand with Family Promise, open your doors, like just a few weeks a year, guys, like, come on, and they won't even answer my letter. They just ignore it. There's like, oh, there's Brian flapping his gums over there, right? And I tell you that not because I'm sucking my thumb. I tell you that to let you know that it's just one of many examples that reveals that we come at the church facility thing differently than most any other church does. There are ways in which many, many churches draw really tight lines about who and what can happen in their buildings. And we say, look, Jesus Christ did not draw tight lines when it comes to who he came to redeem back to God. Our facility use ought to represent that very same level of invitation. So right now you're going like, all right, so let's get to the bottom line, right? You're like, okay, okay, we get it. So here's the bottom line. When we stepped back and we took into consideration our calling, the very real and sincere privilege we have to serve our community through this facility, when we took the overwhelming landslide quantity of support for making the switch to Sunday night worship instead of Saturday night via surveys that we gave to Saturday night people over the last few weeks, when you took into consideration the issues around scheduling volunteer teams, who, by the way, volunteer teams are really the engine of our church, when we took that into consideration, as well as the consideration of some new, pretty cool opportunities that the switch would create for a different kind of weekly rhythm for staff and leadership and key volunteers. And so, so we took all of that in view, and we've decided to move the Saturday night 6 p.m. worship experience to Sundays at 5 o'clock, 5 p.m., Father's Day weekend, June 15th, coming up not very many weeks from right now. And we think that's a fantastic decision. And in order to honor everyone who's been a part of Saturday night since Journey started, we're going to have a Saturday night worship experience farewell celebration. We're going to have that celebration on June 7th, Saturday night. It'll be our last Saturday night worship experience. We'll celebrate everything God's done through Saturday night over the years. It's been really, if you've been around on Saturday, it's been like this magnificent run. God's done some amazing thing on Saturday nights, and we're going to honor that, celebrate that together. Then the following Sunday, June 15th, which is Father's Day, we'll celebrate the launch of that brand new 5 p.m. Sunday worship experience. It'll start every week on June 15th, and we'll kick that off with a huge party around our annual Dad Fest celebration, which is quite a party we have to celebrate dads on Father's Day, and so... Our leadership teams uh, devoted sincere prayer, conversation, energy, listening to all that, and we came out of that process feeling really strongly this is a great decision for our church. We can't wait to see all that God's gonna do in the days and months, years ahead as we continue to listen to him, follow him, trust him, obey him, and all of that. All right, if you have any questions or comments about that, I'll be around up front when we're done in here, people out at the information station who'd be delighted to interact with you about all that. But that's not why you're here, is it? We're starting this brand new message series today called Measuring Up to the 80s, which is us talking about what's a win look like for us as the Journey Church family? What's a win look like 
for us. This series really was born out of the realization of us as a leadership team that we've done a pretty poor job at objectively measuring what really matters to us as a church over the last nine years. So, in light of that, over the past year or so, a bunch of people have locked themselves into rooms for days at a time with whiteboards and flip charts, giant sticky notes stuck to the walls to help ensure that we're not vague anymore about some of the spiritual metrics that we're paying attention to, giving energy to, celebrating, asking God to do more of. We're putting it like in black and white and saying, look, for us as the Journey Church family, for us as the Journey Church community, these are some of the things that really matter. The technical title of these are Journey's mission measures, and our very first mission measure is this one, Cross the Line. And uh, well, you should listen to this song, why don't you? I don't know where I am going But I sure know where I've been Hanging on the promises of songs of yesterday Cause I know what it means To walk along the lonely street of dreams Here I go again on my
also the only Protestant church in the world where you'll hear that song today. <laughs> so we're talking about crossing the line, right? And when we talk about crossing the line, there could be an awful lot of lines that we're talking about crossing, right? There's like boundary lines and chorus lines, finish lines, foul lines, horizon lines, lines of scrimmage. There's the ever-famous pickup lines, right? And there's some terrible 80s pickup lines that are like still hanging around out there in like dark, dark places, lines like this. Do you have a Band-Aid? Because I just scraped my knee falling for you. <laughs> or how about this one? I'm not a photographer, but I can picture you and me together. How about this one? They say dating is a numbers game. Can I get yours? Those are bad. How about this last one? This is like totally 80s. Do you have a sunburn or are you always this hot? Yeah. So there's all kind. yeah, don't use those, by the way. Will not work. Starting lines, battle lines, firing lines, bottom lines. There's all these lines that we in culture are pretty familiar with that we talk about. But when we talk about the lines that matter to us as a church, the lines that we're measuring, we're paying attention to, giving energy to, celebrating, asking God to do more of, we're not talking about those lines, are we? We're rather talking about the very most important line you can possibly imagine, which is crossing the line of faith in Jesus Christ. It's the most important line you can possibly imagine, crossing the line of faith in Jesus Christ. And for us as a church, anytime anybody crosses the line of faith in Jesus Christ, it's a win. It's a win for all of us, and it's a win when it happens in this room inside of a gathering like this that frequently happens. It's a win when it happens at your house, across a kitchen table, over a cup of coffee with your neighbor. It's a win when a work colleague over a working lunch crosses the line of faith in Jesus Christ. No matter how or when anyone crosses the line of faith in Jesus Christ, it's a win for us as a church. And it's a win for us as a church because when people step across the line of faith in Jesus Christ, it's fundamentally about an exchange of identities, isn't it? Like everything changes entirely. Someone crossing the line of faith in Jesus Christ is about an exchange of identities from someone who says, like we heard in that song, here I go again on my own, going down the only road that I've ever known. Like a drifter, I was born to walk alone. And I made up my mind, I'm not wasting no more time Here I go, again, from that kind of an identity. It's like, it's all about me, and I'm going at this all alone. From that kind of an identity to an identity on the other side of the line of faith in Jesus Christ that says, I need Jesus. I need the Savior. Because I've been trying to go it alone. Maybe for a long, long time I've been trying to go it alone, and I'm finding that that isn't working so well. I'm trying to earn my way to God. I'm trying to claw my way to God, whatever it is. And so I'm stepping across the line of faith in Jesus Christ and I'm saying I'm gonna go at this life his way, the way he designed and intended it to be lived. Trusting him, submitted to him, all eyes on him, him at the wheel, really. It's a big deal. Crossing the line of faith in Jesus Christ is about this profound and significant exchange of identities. Some of you know that our oldest son Silas, he's 19, he's been adopted for almost five years now. He's in Ethiopia today right now. One of the purposes of his trip was to try to find his birth family. He set out on this three-week walkabout trip to try to find his birth family, really, was what the trip was about. He didn't have any idea where to start. He was hopeful, though, that if he started in his region with his tribe, that he could maybe, like, sniff out some tracks and be able to locate him. 
Silas has been in Ethiopia for about 10 days now. He's been really, really connected via the web, phone calls and such. But I noticed that earlier this week, there was a few days where he was like off the grid. Didn't hear from him. I didn't see him online. I didn't see him posting on Facebook. Like we hardly ever heard from him. And so I did this little internal calculation where I said, I'll bet you my right arm that he's out in the villages looking for his family. Friday morning, I was at the gym. All of a sudden, I got this like flurry of Facebook messages, Viber calls, Viber messages, if you know what that is, all of which I missed. But I could tell like something's up with Silas. It's not an easy thing to get connected with somebody halfway around the world, but I managed to. And when I finally got connected with him, it was a pretty dramatic thing. He said, Dad, and I could tell he was about to well up with tears. I could tell that he was out of breath. Here's what he said. I found them. Whoa. I found my family. And he stopped and he shed a whole bunch of tears. And he says, guess what, Dad? And I said, what? He said, I have lots of little brothers and sisters. And Dad, when I saw them, it was like I was seeing my face in a mirror. They all looked just like little me's, he said. And I'm sitting in the locker room over at the ridge taking this call, you know, the hustle and bustle of a locker room, and and like my head just about fell off my shoulders. I was like, whoa, I'm reeling. I can tell Silas is reeling. He's got all these siblings. He knows who his family is. He knows where they live. And in just an instant, right, his whole identity, bam, it changed. It was entirely transformed. Silas, our son, isn't the same Silas that he was before he went on this trip. He's different. He's altered. He's not the same person even close because of what he's experienced. And we'll have to metabolize that as a family. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for him? And in very similar fashion, anytime anybody crosses the line of faith in Jesus Christ, it's transforming, or at least it's intended to be transforming. It's like everything that the good thief expressed while he was hanging on the cross next to Jesus. You remember the story, right? It's the Good Friday Scene, the crucifixion of Jesus, seen in Luke 23, we pick it up starting in verse 32. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed, crucified with him. This is Jesus, by the way, the him is Jesus. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him, that's Jesus, to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Remarkable prayer, right? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others. They said, let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. And they called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? So you're, it's like, you're the Messiah, huh? Prove it by saving yourself. And as long as you're gonna save yourself, why don't you save us too while you're at it? But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? Like, Don't you even fear God at your very worst moment? We deserve to die for our crimes. This guy, Jesus, he hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. They call that guy the good 
thief. And he literally crossed the line of faith in Jesus Christ as he was hanging on the cross next to Jesus in his dying moments. And in so doing, he experienced an entire transformation of his identity all the way to the core of his being because that's what it means to cross the line of faith in Jesus Christ. And that exchange of identities is made possible by every single thing that Jesus did for us on the cross. Here he came. And he came to die. He came to give his perfect, spotless, sinless, righteous life for us. And we, in turn, we also come to the cross to die, don't we? And we surrender the old, sinful, here I go again on my own life. We give it up. And we give it up to him, we give it up for him, and the result is Galatians chapter two, verse 20. This is all of our story once we step across the line of faith in Jesus Christ. This is our testimony. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's all of us. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, that's the crux of what it is to step across the line of faith in Jesus Christ. And you can call it whatever you want. Conversion or salvation or being saved or being born again or crossing the line of faith in Jesus Christ or just crossing the line for short. And in an instant, when we step across the line of faith in Jesus Christ, our past sins are not just forgiven, but we're transformed to live a new life fueled by God's power, God's grace. It isn't just us walking out of here after we've made a decision to step across the line of faith in Jesus Christ and going like, okay, I, I gotta be real different now. No, no, no. It's God's power inside of us that gives energy to that transformation. It's his doing. And the Bible makes it really, really clear that the gift of salvation that are becoming righteous, that are exchanging identities, that are crossing the line of faith, whatever you want to call it, comes by faith. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't scratch and claw for it. You can't run on a treadmill to try to chase it. Nothing of our own. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. God saved you by his grace when you stepped across the line of faith in Jesus Christ, and you can't take credit for this, because we can't do it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. We boast instead in Christ. We're like, look at what Jesus did. Look at how Jesus has transformed me. Look at how I'm a new, I'm different. Now we boast in Christ, not in us. It's everything he did. Because see, it's the grace of God that is the foundation of our life with him and in him. All of us at various stages of our lives have had new beginnings, haven't we? As we get older, we have more and more difficulty remembering our own beginnings, like the back in the day stuff. But those who follow behind us, they remember their beginnings really, really keenly. Just ask a six-year-old about her very first day of school ever. She'll recount every last detail down to the second, first we, then we, then I. Pretty soon you're tired of, you're like, okay, I, that's good, right? Ask a young professional about his first day on his job. Ask a newlywed couple to recount the joy when they heard those words, I now pronounce you. Everyone will tell you that beginnings are a fantastic time of life, even if they're a bit scary. But what happens with beginners is they often fail to remember the crucial factors that made their beginnings possible in the first place. 
they very frequently forget about all the numerous steps that led up to their beginning. The little schoolgirl, she doesn't dwell at all. She doesn't even think about how her mom had to run to all these stores to buy all these school supplies and all these school clothes. And then her mom spent like hours and hours putting all that stuff together, together helping her be ready for her first day of school. She doesn't think about that stuff. The young professional, he'll very often forget about how his first day on the job was only made possible by years and years of school, years and years of intense study, investment of tens of thousands, most of the time of moms and dad, mom and dad's money. They'll forget about that. And those newlyweds, well, they fell in love an awfully long time ago, right? Even if they consider the wedding day the official beginning of their new life, together and in very similar fashion are crossing the line of faith in Jesus Christ starts, it started with God's grace a long, long time before we ever start our faith journey. God was doing all kinds of work behind the scenes in your life, in my life, long before you ever thought about responding to him. Hey, just think about it, go, go back in history. God came to the planet in the person of Jesus Christ long before you ever thought about responding to him. By means of Christ's death on the cross, he paid our crippling sin debt long before we ever thought about responding to him. And like to this very moment, like right now, at this point in time, God's still coming to you right now, pursuing us and pursuing us and loving us way before many of us ever even thought about responding to him. That's God's grace. And God's grace is a favor that we didn't earn, that we can't do anything to earn, and it stays with us. God's grace pursues us and pursues us and pursues us. And again and again and again, God's grace takes us to the next step of faith in him. And God never ever tires of pursuing us. He never ever tires of working with us. He never ever tires of loving us, and God never ever gives up on us. It doesn't matter. He doesn't give up. Paul talks about this a bit in Romans chapter four, verse six. David also spoke of this, Paul writes, when he described, check this out, the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. The happiness of those who are declared righteous without work, that's us, isn't it? And that's how God operates. He treats Jesus' substitutionary, atoning death as provision of righteousness that is, in a sense, if you want to think about this in banking terms, deposited into the bank. His righteousness deposited into the bank. Our act of faith, then, is to step across the line of faith in Jesus Christ, believe that God's done that, and when we do, that righteousness is credited to our account, my account, your account. And from that moment on, you begin drawing on that account of righteousness as you live the new life of a follower of Jesus Christ. And all kinds of people cross the line of faith in Jesus Christ in all kinds of varieties and circumstances. Some people pray inside of a gathering like this declaring Jesus their Savior and Lord. Others cry out to God on the top of a mountain. Still others kneel beside a hotel bed and pray a prayer of commitment. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where, but people ask, don't they? I hear this question all the time. How do you really know? How do you really know that somebody's really, truly crossed the line of faith in Jesus Christ? How do you know if somebody's really, truly repentant or if they're caught up in a moment of emotion? Or... And here's what I've been saying for years. I'm gonna keep on saying it for years longer. Only God knows. That's the right answer. 
Only God knows the heart. Only God knows whether a person's surrender to him is genuine. Only God knows. And lots of us, we try to sit back and we try to judge and analyze and figure it out, right? We're like, I don't know. Were they and God says, let me handle that. Let me handle that. That's my territory, not yours. And there's also something else I know. That anytime someone is sincere and they're crossing the line of faith in Jesus Christ, they're going to very, very quickly experience a change in affections, habits, thinking, identity. Everything changes. Things that used to seem appealing, they aren't anymore. At least they sh shouldn't be if someone's genuine, authentic. Things that didn't used to be appealing now are appealing and they should be appealing. When a person's crossing the line of faith in Jesus Christ is genuine, they will experience an increasing discontent over sin. They'll want to turn away from sin, run headlong into God, saying, God, I want to be done with that. I want to be, take that away, please. Charles Spurgeon said it real clearly this way, talking about someone coming to faith. If you do not experience a hatred of sin and love of holiness, God has done nothing in you of a saving character. Whoa. Pretty cut and dry, isn't it? And I think one of the tragedies of the modern church is that very often people see crossing the line of faith in Jesus as like this magical, mystical ticket to a life of comfort, blessing, niceness. Woo! Tiptoe through the tulips, right? You've heard me talk about it like this before. Some people think about stepping across the line of faith in Jesus Christ like a dollop of whipped cream on top of their already pretty good life, right? It's like, woo! Isn't that great? Just add a little whipped cream on top and everything's better now, right? No. That's a travesty to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a travesty to Christ's crucifixion on the cross for us and everything that he intends to happen in our life when we trust him. Because you see, stepping across the line of faith in Jesus Christ is incredibly costly. It is incredibly costly. Following Jesus every single moment of every single day is quite countercultural because it means you're dying to yourself. It means you're giving up self-control. It means you're giving up relinquishing personal autonomy, which, by the way, are the very things that this world prizes and values more than anything else. And they look at people giving up control of their hearts and lives to God, and they're like, whoa, that's crazy. Like, yep, kind of is. Really is. Crossing the line of faith in Jesus Christ, I like to say it this way, it's a free gift, but it costs everything. It costs everything. And let's be real clear about that. And then once a person has stepped across the line of faith in Jesus, their very next step should be to go public with their faith through the act of water baptism. It's kind of a little plug for you to visit journeyweb.net slash baptism if you haven't been baptized. And let us help you go public with your faith in Jesus Christ. And I hear people all the time, they're like, I met Christ, I crossed the line of faith like 20 years ago. I was never ever baptized and I think it's just too late now. Uh-uh, it's not. You should be baptized. Let us help you. If you met Christ recently, let us help you. Journeyweb.net slash baptism and we'll help you go public. Why don't you take your stuff and set it aside and I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads and go to prayer if you would.
And for people who have stepped across the line of faith in Jesus, what if you just took this time to reflect on the state of your relationship with him? Like, what's he saying to you about your relationship with him? Maybe some of you, you're way over on one end of the spectrum, and you're just tearing it up for Jesus. I don't know how else to say it. But since you came to faith in Christ, you're just lit up. You're sharing your faith. Your prayer life is vibrant. Your devotional life is up and to the right. You're growing in faith, taking new territory. Pursuing personal holiness more and more every day, living on the mission of Christ and so on and so forth. What's God saying to you? What's God saying to you about your relationship with him? I'm going to suggest that one of the things I hope he's saying to you is that it's time for you to come alongside some others and help them grow in their faith. Disciple them, if that's you. There's some people in your world, I assure you, who God wants to use to, like, show them how it's done. And so what are you going to do about that? And then maybe just move a little right on that spectrum and maybe those of us who've crossed the line of faith in Jesus Christ, we find ourselves like smack dab in the middle of this spectrum. And it's just pretty comfortable there in the middle. Cozy. Life's pretty good, pretty easy. Yeah, we stepped across the line of faith in Jesus Christ and since then nothing's gone too bad and since then nothing's gone too good. We're just kind of, you know, going to work every day, raising our family doing our thing but what's Jesus saying to you about your relationship with him where are the points of challenge that he's pressing you on you see Jesus didn't invite you to step across the line of faith in him just so you could live a comfortable whipped cream on top existence how and where is he pressing you What areas of life and faith is he inviting and challenging you to step out into? How are you going to respond to him at that place? And then maybe keep moving right on that spectrum all the way to the other, like the far end, the other end, opposite end. And maybe some of us, we're people who stepped across the line of faith in Jesus Christ maybe recently or maybe a long, long time ago and when we did that, it was just about the fire insurance thing. I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to ask Jesus into my heart. And since that day, I haven't thought much about it. What's Jesus saying to you about actually like getting off the bench and growing in faith and pursuing him? Because Jesus didn't just come to die on the cross and be raised from the dead so that you could have fire insurance. He saved you for a far greater, grander purpose than that. And what's he saying to you about that place? And how are you going to respond to him? And then maybe you're someone who hasn't ever stepped across the line of faith in Jesus Christ. 
Here's the deal. Right now, Jesus is inviting you to do just that. His grace has been activated in your life for a long, long time. He may have been knocking on the door of your heart for a long, long time. And to this very moment, Jesus has been inviting you to salvation and forgiveness once and for all. Inviting you to the mission that he made you for. He's inviting you to be adopted into the family that he called you into. And if that's you, you can take that very bold step of crossing the line of faith in Jesus by praying with me. And it's not about the prayer. These aren't like magical, mystical words. It's about the heart that's behind the words, the heart that's behind the prayer. And if that's you, I invite you to pray with me. Jesus, yes, I am a sinner. And I've been trying to live life on the here I go again on my own plan and well, it's not working so well. And so Jesus, I'm coming home to you and I'm asking you to be my savior and my Lord. I need you, all of you, not just a little bit of you. I need all of you, Jesus. That Jesus, you would come into my heart and life and that you would clean me up and that you would make me yours. Please. And Jesus, this is me saying thank you everything that you've done and everything you're going to continue to do. I trust you, Jesus, with my everything. Here's my life. And if you're someone who's crossing the line of faith in Jesus Christ right now, that's the biggest deal, the biggest decision of your entire life and existence. And it's such a big deal around here, we like people to tell us when they make that decision. I want you to know every head is bowed, every eye is closed, nobody's looking around this room you, me, and God looking on right now. It's a private moment. If you stepped across the line of faith in Jesus Christ with me just then, would you just be real bold and slip your hand up and lock eyes with, yeah, right there to my right, absolutely. Yeah, right, yeah, way, yeah, way to go, yes, and yes, and yes, and yes. Keep your hands up, would you please? And yes, absolutely, yes. There, yeah, both of you right there. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, way to go. And there, back there, yeah, I see you. And you too, bud. Yes, and here, yeah, you and you, yes, way to go. Absolutely, yes. Yes, yeah, way to go. It's transformation. It's an exchange of identities that God's doing right now. God, we praise you and we thank you for your saving work that you're doing in this room right now, Jesus. Wow, the fact that we get to be a part of that is astounding. Something we'll never take for granted and something we'll never treat lightly. Eternity is being transformed right here because of you and because of your grace. And Jesus, I pray for all of us that that would be the desire of our hearts and lives to help other people cross the line of faith in you. That you'd send us out on that mission. And lots of us, we get freaked out. We're like, ah, it's so scary to talk about faith. 
Jesus, that you would turn down the volume on the nervousness, that you'd turn down the volume on the fear, that you'd turn down the volume on the anxiety about us talking about our faith, and that it'd just be normal and natural for us to talk about you because you matter that much to us. And that because of the lives represented in this room, countless, countless numbers of people would step across the line of faith in you. Because you matter that much. Because we love you that much that we're ordering our whole lives around you and your calling, your mission. You're the best, Jesus. We worship you.